few weeks ago, Genevieve and I celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary. I almost said 25. So we're looking for number 25. And 24 years, it seems like yesterday we met. I've had a, spent some time reflecting on what that journey has been like, how we've grown together, how we've spent a lot of time laughing, how we've gotten to know each other, sometimes just one word and we, we start laughing. If you were to ask Genevieve to tell you about me, uh, there's one thing she might share with you. Uh, very early on in our marriage, she, she came to realize that I, I had this somewhat obsession with lists, top 10 lists. Uh, very early would talk about, especially songs, I love to sing, so I would say, babe, this one is part of my top 10. And that was 1996, we began doing that, so, and, and would go and would visit a church, would hear a song and say, oh yes, this one. Have you heard this great song? It's part of my top ten. And so she would tease me. Well, no, now, Thomas, about top ten. And I've come to Baraka. Boy, there, I, I don't know about top ten anymore. How, how long? Maybe top hundred. But I do enjoy listing things. So this morning, guess what? I, I do want to thank you to think of, of lists, of a list of top ten. And, and the question is... Uh, if you were to list your top 10 activities, what would they be? What would you list? And maybe some of you are tempted to start listing now. You don't need to do that. But if you were to ask my top 10 list, there's a chance I might have some that many of you may not have on that list. There's a good chance that driving may be on my top 10 list. I love driving. I love being in the car. Part, we've spent a lot of time taking long trips. I've often been in situations where I've had to drive, and I've come to learn to love driving. Um, some of you probably say, Thomas, driving. It's the last thing I want to do, and I believe you. I, I see some of you on the highway behind that wheel, and it's like, I don't want to be there. That's the last place you want to be, and I'll drive all that. I can tell. Oh, boy, you're in trouble. Some of you, it's the last thing you want to do. I do love to drive. But I must tell you, while I enjoy driving, there are a few moments where it's not so much fun. It could be late at night and I'm driving, and something starts flashing on that dashboard. And I don't quite know what it means. I'm like, oh boy, what, what in the world is this? Because while I love driving, I don't know much about cars. I just like driving them. That's about it. I know very little. So I see that little symbol and I try to pretend it's not there. Let me turn off the car. Maybe it will go away. And of course, you know what happens. Try to ignore it. But then after a while, I said, Thomas, you know, the manufacturer of the car did not put this to torture you to annoy you. And so I'll go and look at the manual and under warnings and, and, and find out what that little annoying thing that's flashing on the screen is there for a reason. It is for a good reason. And for me to ignore it is to expose myself to possible harm to even significant harm. When you hear the word warning, 
Maybe it's not uh, something on your dashboard. Maybe you think of a time when your parent had to call you and, and, and really warn you. Maybe earlier this week someone had to warn you. We, do, we have warnings all the time. Part of what it means to be a good parent is to warn your children. I remember my mom, she just remember her passing last week, and, and there were times she had to call me, and as a loving mother, warn me about a few things. It's not just car manufacturers, brothers and sisters, who give us warnings, or parents who give us warnings, or friends for that matter. God Almighty, being the perfect father who loves and cares for his children, gives us warnings. And they are certainly not to torture us. They are for our good always. We see many warnings in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Last week we began looking at the book of Proverbs and there were warnings from God to us, right? Regarding how we are to use our tongue. And how we are not to use it. What may happen, what will happen when we use it foolishly. This morning I want to draw your attention to another warning in scripture. That is the warning to flee and avoid folly. And instead to pursue wisdom. When you look at the book of Proverbs, sometimes the warnings are not just stated directly as warnings. But sometimes you have to look a little bit deeper and you see it inferred. That's oftentimes where warning comes in Scripture. I would almost say in almost every command, every direction, there is an element of warning. We do it, this is what happened, but if you do not, this is what will happen to you. We all need this warning. I hope you realize you need this warning. We need to pay attention to what it means to being a fool. For a lot of reasons. Obviously, we live in a fallen world and we will face, and many of you have faced, maybe this week as you're sitting, you think, oh boy. You met some people who acted foolishly. So it helps to know what folly is so that you can learn to deal with people who act foolishly. But this morning, there's even a better reason for this. It is the fact that you and I are also and very strongly tempted to act like fools. Even this morning as I was coming and I was praying, I said, God, guard my heart against folly. Even this morning. Even in the very act of preaching, you may not see it, folly can fill my heart. So we all need this warning, my brothers and sisters. So what I want to do this morning is begin by praying and asking God, even this morning, to help us. To protect our heart and mind so that we could listen to his word. So please join me as we call to our God for his help. Heavenly Father, we need you this morning. We need you always. But perhaps we need you even more every time we open your word. For we realize, Father, within us, there are many things that could 
distract us. There are things about us that make us not even want to hear the truth of your word. Oh, Father, be gracious to us, all of us. Be gracious to me as I bring your word, Lord. Guard me, keep me from acting or saying anything that is foolish. And be with my brothers and sisters. Give them grace. Guard their hearts. Even as they listen. That they would not do so foolishly. We need you. You are the only one who can keep our hearts and minds from foolishness. So we ask that you would do it. And we trust that you will be gracious. And help us this morning. May your spirit help us in every way. For the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe you received a little flyer. And and the flyer is just a, a little resource for you. As it helps you see some of the text that I'm going to be referring to. Uh, we certainly would not have time to say turn to this and to that, won't do that. Uh, but I just want you to know that uh, we will, I will not be going through them necessarily in this order. So if you are, Thomas, you, didn't, you skipped this one. That's not the purpose, is to just give this to you as a guide uh, for future reference. This morning, we want to structure our time in this way. First, I want to take some time and look at the marks of folly. What does the fool look like as presented to us in the book of Proverbs? And there are six marks that we will be looking at. Then we will look at another question. What does folly lead to? How significant is folly? How serious is it? What are the outcomes of folly? And lastly... Is there any hope for the fool? And hopefully by the time we get to that, you will see that the fool is in serious trouble and needs help. And that his case may seem homeless. So we will want to end there, looking at the hope that the gospel provides us for all of us fools. Very quickly then, what are the marks of the fool? The first one that I want to bring to your attention is that the fool, according to the book of Proverbs, is one who rejects God's wisdom for his daily life. One who rejects God's wisdom for his daily life. The fool's problem, as presented in the book of Proverbs, or the rest of the Bible for that matter, his problem is not a lack of intellect. His problem is not that he's intellectually deficient. It is not. Rather, the issue has to do with moral perversion and depravity. The fool's problem is that of a heart that is bent toward rebellion against God and his wisdom. The fool simply does not want to live life by God's wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Bible tells us in 1.7, fools despise wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool despises wisdom in all of its various aspects. Instruction, understanding, insight, wise dealing, discretion, learning, knowledge. The fool despises the wisdom of God as it's presented to us. The fool does not fear God. Thus, God's instructions do not mean much to him at all, as far as his daily lives, daily life is concerned. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? We read in 122. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. Realize how strong those verbs are? Despising. Loving being simple. Delighting in scoffing. Hating knowledge. So the word that's used for despise has to do with strong re rejection of that which has been revealed. It's not ignorance of what has been revealed. It's actually strong re resistance toward it. Strong rejection of it. While there are differences between the three terms that are used for full, they all belong in the same family. And the most that we're looking at this morning, to a greater or lesser degree, applied all of them. So I'm not going to be going and say, well, this one, this and that. But I'm going to be speaking in general terms about the full. For as Derek Kidner says, the full, by whatever name he goes, is by definition... One whose mind is closed for the present, at least to God. And it is close to God, he argues, because the fool has rejected the first principle of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. So whether you're talking about the simple, the scoffer, or just the fool, the idea is the same. You're dealing, we are dealing with someone who has rejected the wisdom of God because of fear of the Lord is not present. A fool despises his father's instruction, verse 15, 5, chapter 15, 5. But whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Again, we see the word despising. And many times we see in the book of Proverbs references to sons and children despising their father's instruction. I want to say something here. It is not just about God wants children to respond, to obey their parents. You see, in God's order, God wanted parents to apply their hearts to seeking his wisdom and then to be used as instruments in his hand to communicate his wisdom to their children. That's God's design. That's why we see so many references in the book of Proverbs about children obeying, responding, and how it's so bad when you despise your parents' instruction. Because when you reject and despise your parents' wise counsel, counsel that is grounded in the wisdom and the word of God, 
you are despising the wisdom of God itself. It is no small matter for children to despise their parents' instruction when it is grounded in the truth of God's word. It is no small matter. But that's what a fool does. It is foolish, boys and girls, to despise your parents' instruction when they are instructing you in the ways of God. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. He does not find pleasure in true understanding. He does not have a heart to access the wisdom of God. He does not devote himself to understanding God's word. To take the time. To humble himself. To study God's wisdom. He believes he knows everything already. And only finds pleasure in expressing his opinion. As Kidner puts it, the fool is someone with a closed mind and an open mouth. Close mind, a mind that is close to the revelation of God, to wise counsel, but one who also who has an open mouth. I don't know if you are thinking, but it's as I couldn't help but think of where we are culturally. How foolish we are increasingly becoming become. And everyone today has a megaphone to shout, to express our opinions about all sorts of matter and very little interest in listening. Do I need to prove that to you? Just turn on the television and see for a moment. When there's a serious problem being discussed, and what happens? Any serious effort to listen? And understand. Instead, what we see is people shouting over each other. My dear brothers and sisters, it would be very bad if this were only true of the world. But we must be honest. Too often it is true of us. Have you followed conversations between brothers and sisters? Whether in public at times or social media, how foolish are we so often to not even want to listen and understand? But we just want to talk. I'll bring it closer. Do you ever struggle with that as a family? As husband and wife, how eager are we to understand? Especially when someone is attempting to correct us. Oh no, just listen to me. The fool doesn't want to understand. Only wants to express his opinion. Number two. The fool sees himself as the final authority on how he is to live his life. He despises the wisdom of God, so what he puts in place of that is his very own wisdom. He's not interested in taking time to discover 
How he is to live his life in the midst of its complexities, in the midst of its challenges. Rather, he believes he is enough. He has what it takes. His approach is to simply trust himself and go his own way. And he believes he is right, of course. The way of a fool, well, 15, is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. The fool is self-deceiving. He believes that he is always right. Whoever trusts trust in, in his own mind is a fool, 28, 26. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And when you read this verse, along with the preceding verse, verse, 20, uh, verse 25, where it says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. We see very clearly, again, that what the wisdom that is being spoken of in the book of Proverbs is not just common sense, but rather it is a wisdom that is taught by God. This is not just human wisdom that is accessible to everyone. But it's a wisdom that is taught by God. The kind of wisdom that comes from being in a covenant relationship with God. One that comes from knowing and trusting the Lord. The fool's foolishness is seen in that he looks to himself, not to God, on how to live well. How foolish are we? How foolish is it for a frail, finite man who cannot control his next breath to ignore his maker and go about life without any reference to God's ways? Again, it's not just out there, my brothers and sisters. Do you ever find yourself tempted Trying to go your own way. Believe you just know it. You just know what to do. Not open even to the wise counsel of a brother or sister. And certainly not making an effort to seriously look at the wisdom of scripture. I am right. I am always right. The call of wisdom is certainly desperately needed. To stop us from our tendency to trust in ourselves and live life in the absence of God as though God did not exist. Even when we speak, we believe He is there, but we act at times as though He is not there. We don't need to know His mind about how we are to live, how we are to function as brothers and sisters. Suddenly, God has nothing to say about things like politics. Ooh. I know I'm right. Or marriage or finance and all and on and on and on and on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. How we need this. To deal with our tendency. To not acknowledge God. To lean on ourselves. You read the Bible 
You see over and over how God takes this seriously. God judges kings. Do you, have you seen that? I'm sure you have. God pronounces judgment and he says, because you did not rely on me. It's no small matter, brothers and sisters, for us. Live life. Entrusting ourselves instead of acknowledging God. I'm not talking about having the right theology of God, brothers and sisters. I'm talking about humble submission, coming to him day after day, moment after moment. God, help me. I need you. I need you not just for a few things, but for everything. Help me see your mind on everything. That's not what the fool wants to do. His heart says, my way and my way only. Frank Sinatra's words describe quite well the longing of the fool's heart. So you know the song. Maybe you've, maybe you've sung it. Well, pay attention, brothers and sisters, to the words. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. And I'll state my case, of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. And I planned each charted course, each careful step along life's byway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall. And did it my way. I loved, I, la I loved, I laughed, I cried. Had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amazing. Just to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way. Oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got if not himself? Then he has not, if not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. How tragic. This is a full song, brothers and sisters. Oh, that God would guard our hearts and work in us by his mercy. That would sing a different song. A glorious song. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I'm waiting, yielded and still. 
Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Mark number three. The fool responds poorly to correction. 15.5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In 1.23-33, the fool is described as the one who refused to listen to the call given by wisdom. As the one who would have none, it says, none of my reproof. The one who despised all my reproof. The one who turned away from the call of wisdom. And the one who was complacent, that is, totally at ease in his foolishness. And we all know that. Again, we, may, we think of that many times and we look at our children. But brothers and sisters, I wonder what our Heavenly Father says of us at times. How well do we respond to His correction? Whether it's given as we read the Word, as we listen to the preacher, or as when our brother or sister comes to us. And we've sinned, we've gone our own way. How well do we respond? The fool resists correction. Number four, the fool fails to learn from his failures. He's not just one who is resistant to correction that is coming from outside him, from others, but he also will not learn, even from his own experience of failure. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, what does he do? 19.3, his heart rages against the Lord. Rather than looking at his own foolishness and humbling himself, he gets mad at God himself. The very God that he ignores in the way he lives his life. Amazing at times how people who will go to the nth degree to deny the very existence of God, the relevance of his word to them, yet when things go badly and they suffer harm because of their foolishness, I don't, can't believe in such a God who would let this happen to me. That's how bad our hearts can be, brothers and sisters. Even when we fail, still are resistant to looking at ourselves and humbling ourselves we get mad at the very God whose ways we've ignored. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Does it matter how many times you have hurt yourself by doing that thing? You go back to it again and again. And again, and my dear friends, if the grace of God is not at work in our lives, that's where we are likely to be always. 
because we love our foolishness. We are at ease. We like it. Our temptation is to just keep going our own way, even, even in, sp- in spite of the bad consequences that come our way. Number five, the fool makes light of his sins. 14, 16, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. The wise takes his conduct seriously. The wise makes moral distinctions based on divine revelation. He takes evil seriously and turns away from it. Not just evil outside, but evil in his own heart. The fool, by contrast, pays little attention about his conduct, just wants to live for the moment. To satisfy his glands, to satisfy his stomach. That, that's just what it's about. He does whatever he feels like doing. No deep conviction about right and wrong. We'll even try to deny there is ever such thing as right and wrong. After all, all is relative. The fool relies on his own understanding. If it feels good, just do it. 10.23, doing wrong, listen to this, is like a joke to a fool. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. This is foolishness at its worst. Fools mock, 49, at the guilt offering. The idea of sin and repentance are subjects of mockery. To the fool. So the fool sometimes will even go and flaunt his folly, his sins. Publicize it, post it, you name it. Folly is a joy. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. But a man of understanding walks straight ahead. He is quite comfortable living in his sin. One final mark, and maybe this one says it all. Number six, the fool rejects the fear of the Lord in his daily life. 129, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's very clear from the book of Proverbs that there is no true wisdom apart from the fear of of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and it does not mean you begin to know wisdom with the fear of the Lord and then you can drop the fear of the Lord as you continue. The fear of the Lord, as one commentator puts it, is both a doorway and a pathway. It's not possible to begin to be wise without the fear of the Lord. And if we are to continue to grow in wisdom, We need to continue in the fear of the Lord. The fool has rejected the fear of God. Then said, there is no God at times. He'll even try to say and convince himself of such. Remember the words of our brother Osis Paul, how he would talk about living life, coram Deo. That's what the wise wants to do. Be factoring the presence of God, the reality of God, and living in submission to God. 
for the glory, for the honor of God. Rather, the fool wants to live his life in the absence of God. Whether he professes atheism or says there is a God, but he wants to live as though God is not there. He wants to live his life in defiance of God and for his honor and glory. It makes a big difference when you're aware of your surrounding, does it not? You're walking into a living room and thought there was no one there. You can walk anywhere you want. But then you're about to walk casually and then next thing you know there is a guest who just showed up, someone of great importance. What do you do? How do you walk? How do you walk? Same way. You watch how you walk. Because a person there requires a sense of reverence and awe. My dear friends, the God who's made the heavens and the earth, who sustains all things, is worthy of our utter reverence. And this tragedy is we will at times even put all the people, kings and rulers, people we idealize or ourselves even, and order our conduct because of them. Yet we at times in our foolishness walk in God's world as if he's not there. We act, we do as we please, as though he is not and we will even argue to say he doesn't exist not because we do not know that his existence is not plain we have a reason you see we want to say he doesn't exist so that we could live life our way do what we want to do it takes different forms even when people come and say well you know Sure, I believe in God. All sorts of ideas are just fine. And this one is okay. And that one is okay. And this one is okay. Let me tell you the problem. If we can say that they're all good, they're all valid, here's the deal. Then we can conclude that none of them is valid. None of them has a claim on me. Because in our head we know those contradictory things cannot be true at the same time. Christ cannot be who he is. And for us to say that Islam is good as well. So you'll have people paying compliments to us. And say, oh, he said, well, sure, of course, no problem. What fools want to do is to live in the absence of the true and living God. So that we could resist it. We do not want him to rule over us. We have to keep going. We've looked at the marks of the fool. He rejects God's wisdom for his daily life. He sees himself as a final authority on how to, he is to live his life. How to live his life. He resists correction. He fails to learn from his failures. He takes in lightly. And he rejects the fear of the Lord. Now what does that lead to? How serious is this? Hopefully you've already sensing the consequences of being fools are grave. But let me just very, very quickly mention three for you. Number one, the fool hurts himself by his folly. 
The fool hurts himself by his folly. The for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fool destroys them. The fool is at ease going his own way, even when his way is leading to destruction. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Can you believe this is in Scripture? A fool's mouth, maybe some of you are like, boy, I remember. I know people like that. Just by their mouth. After a sign, come beat me. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his own soul. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The fool experiences ruin because of his folly. He talks big, but he refuses to listen and learn. It's like, you remember the story of the wise man and the foolish man that Jesus gave? Both building a house, but one is building on a rock, the other one is building on sand. The fool rejects. Wisdom. He rejects, he does not listen, he rejects God's word. So, what happened when the storms come? The house is destroyed. So, the fool hurts himself, but it's not just that. The fool also harms and hurts others by his folly. The fool harms and hurts others by his folly. He hurts. Those closest to him, but not just them. He hurts all those around him. Skidner says, describe the fool as a menace. A menace to society. In, your, in our foolishness, we can do, do great harm. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. That is, he does not have wisdom to guide him, and of course he's going to speak, and he's going to speak foolishly, and as a result of that, he will also hurt others. Think of the story of Abigail and Nabal, whose very name means fool. This couple, where Nabal said some dangerous things that invited a beating, right? You know that story. And his wife had to come and plead so that the family, the household, would not be destroyed. And listen to her as she pled with David. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. Can you imagine being described like that by your wife? Now, a quick word to you, young ladies. I, I, I have to say this very quickly. Give yourself to wisdom if you're single. Apply your heart to wisdom and don't marry a Nabal. He will hurt you. Not he may. He will. His foolishness will not just hurt him. He will hurt you and the family. Hope you get that. It's free advice from Uncle Thomas. <laughs> that will save you a lot of money later of having to walk into a counselor's office with that Nabal. Don't get married to him. Run from him. I don't care how he looks. Six packs. Take one with no packs. If he is wise. Now, it's not just 
free advice for the young women or for the single women. Guys, listen. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Young men, same thing. Give yourself to wisdom. Spend your time more in God's word than in the gym, guys. That you would be wise. And just as I said to the young ladies, don't marry a fool. It's not worth it. It does not matter how she looks, how cute. It does not matter. She too will hurt you. Fuck. That's why God warns us against it. He loves us. Just like we as parents when we want our children, it's because we love them. God is infinitely wise, my dear friends. We all know stories of godly men and women, Christians who became yoked with those who could not care less about the wisdom of God. Oh, we all know. Maybe you had that experience. The pain and hurt is inevitable. And even if later God, by his grace, intervenes, oh boy, the scars are often there still. Another free advice from Uncle Thomas. If you want to talk more, please let me know. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The fool has no self-control. And you know what happens when people have no self-control. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Constant conflict. The fool is easily provoked. Always fighting. Because he wants his way, see. He doesn't want to listen. He's always right. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. And the idea is that a fool, when he has an idea in his head, nothing will stop him. It's hard to reason with them. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, but, and whoever utters slander is a fool. We hurt others through our slandering of them. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. There's a warning. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who your friends are. If you care about wisdom, about walking with God, think twice about where you're spending most of your time. And if it is with fools... You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Could say more on this, but tempted, but I won't. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who your friends are. Do not minimize the impact, the negative impact that a foolish friend can have on you. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Did you hear the words? Sorrow, grief, bitterness, sorrow again. 
no joy. That's what happens if you're foolish sons, and all of us are children. Have, are we subjects of joy and gladness to our parents? To our godly parents who've labored hard to teach us in the ways of God? Or are we breaking their hearts by our rebellion? It's not the only reason you should seek wisdom and avoid folly, but I would hope that care for those who are next to you, watching them cry, sensing their pain, that God would use that to get your attention. Folly has serious consequences for the fool, for others, but it's not just that. The fool is destined for judgment because of his folly. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. And let me just read from 120 to 33. It's worth reading the whole text. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, send to this, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mark when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. I won't take time to go in detail as to the nature of the judgment, but there is at least one thing that's very clear I want to point out. is at least, and there is more, but at least part of the judgment is God allowing the fool to reap the consequences of his own fault. God giving the fool over to his foolish heart. It's very serious, my brothers and sisters. God giving over, read Romans 1. As human fallen human beings reject God, see God giving over. Hear God's word today. And do not harden your hearts, lest he allow you to really go your own way. You do not want to go your own way. 
I do not want to ever go. I do not want to go my own way. Baraka, we do not want to ever go our own way. The consequences are grave. We hurt ourselves, hurt others, invite God's judgment. So, last question we want to deal with is, is there hope for the fool? Is there hope? It's obvious the fool's problem is not superficial. It is profound. As we said, it's not lack of intellect. It's not lack of information. It is a reflection of a sick heart. Is there hope? Is there hope? Where can hope be found? 30, 32, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, which is the heart of foolishness, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. Now, one thing about this, it's an unusual instruction for a fool. Put your hand on your mouth. We've already said that's the last thing the fool wants to do. What he wants to do is talk. The fool can find hope when he, by the grace of God, begins to recognize his foolishness and do what by his sinful nature was once unthinkable. Namely, to put his hand over his mouth and humbly listen to God. And if you are here this morning and, and, and you are listening to this and you're beginning for the first time to want to be still and listen, it is a sign of God's grace. And all of us who are here, who are able to recognize our foolishness, it is because he had work in our hearts and caused us to Listen, Job, one we certainly would not typically think of the word fool in connection to Job. Think of a godly man who loved God, was devoted to him, but during his trials he found himself dealing with his own foolishness and talked a lot and, and God had to bring him to a point where he had to do this. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer? And this is said after God met him. I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And after listening to God's revelation of his sovereign and majestic rule and seeing his foolishness, we read following from Job. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And how did God respond to Job as he became aware of his foolishness? Put his hand over his mouth. Did God say, away from me, you fool, done with you? Praise God. He did for Job what he's done for us. He showed mercy to Job. Did even more than that. 
He used Job as instruments to extend his mercy to those who were fools as well. Listen to Job 42. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. God showed mercy to Job. It says that God also showed mercy to the other fools who were of Job. He did not deal with them according to their folly. Did you get that? God did not deal with them according to their folly. Instead, God accepted the sacrifice as was offered in Job's prayer. Did not deal with them according to their folly. My dear brothers and sisters, if this morning you are being reminded of your foolishness, just like I've been dealing with this for the last few weeks, I have words of comfort, words of hope for you. We have one near us who is greater than Job. He's the one who has rescued us from having to face the judgment of God for our foolishness. Oh, he's way better than Job. See, if unlike Job, there was never any foolishness of him. In him, he did not have any foolishness to repent of. He is the very embodiment of wisdom. When he walked among us a thousand years ago, what happened? He did all things well. His words were always apt. They were always honest. They were always true. They were always uplifting. He caused no harm to, his, to anyone. And yet, God in his unsearchable wisdom and infinite mercy offered him up Not some other sacrifice. God the Father offered him up the wise for the fool. The one, his only son, the one of whom he says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In our place, he stood condemned. He paid in full once and for all the price that our foolishness required. And because he did so, all of us who recognize our foolishness, all of us who put our hands over our mouth, 
who've looked to Jesus, the wisdom of God, we've heard him say to us, and he's saying to us again this morning, I will not deal with you according to your folly. Is there better news than this for fools, my dear friends? There are lots of things that can make us glad in this world. Lots of things. Maybe you're sick and you go to the doctor, no cancer. You're waiting for a check, oh, they pass a stimulus bill or something. You wanted to get married, thought getting older, nothing happens. There come, there she comes. My dear friends, there is no greater, no better news than God saying to us foolish sinners, I am not dealing with you according to your folly. See, because we are so limited in our wisdom, we, we don't realize how big this is, you see. Or else, oh boy, it would be more and more like Paul saying, rejoice, dancing, and singing. We still don't quite get it, and I make God help us to see the wonders of his grace to us who deserve condemnation. There's more. Not only he will not deal with us according to our folly, but he has done more. He has put out his favor on us by crediting his son's wisdom to our account. So we stand before him, so just like, not as fools, but as wise, therefore accepted by him, because all that Christ is, is ours. And he's working in us by his spirit, so that words that would have been a burden to us can be deeply meaningful and not crush us. Words that Paul spoke to the Ephesian Christians, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, the God who's justified us, who's declared us not guilty, who has not looked upon us, who has not dealt with us according to our foolishness, is actively working in you and in me daily, all the time, even now, to help turn us from our foolish ways and become more and more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. Become like him. And if you discourage, may the hope of one day being free of foolishness help you today to press on. It's getting better. If you're tired, as I am at times, know that God is still working on us. As that little song, kids showing that God is still working. Realize that. Think about that. Yourself, brothers and sisters. God is working. One day we will be like Christ. There will be no foolish thinking. There will be no turning away from God. But maybe this morning your heart is not filled with joyful gratitude at all. But rather it is breaking over the weight of your folly for the first time. You had never seen it. You are very complacent, very much at ease, going your own way, doing your own things, living in the absence of God. But maybe the Spirit of God is working in your heart 
this morning. And the pain of your folly is crushing you. The pain that you've caused to yourself. The pain that you've caused to others. And more importantly, the guilt that is on your heart as you've rejected and despised the true and living God and His wisdom. And you may be asking, is there hope for me? Is there hope for me? Well, I have good news, and I want to end with that very quickly and tell you about a fool in Luke 15 that Jesus spoke about. A foolish son. One was so foolish, he did the unthinkable. He prematurely asked for his inheritance to go to a far over land and to waste it. Bible says, in reckless living, foolish living. And after losing everything, and he found himself where maybe you are feeling you are this morning with the pigs. Not a pleasant thing, is it? Before maybe you are comfortable, you didn't see them as feeding with people, but maybe now the Spirit of God is showing it to you. How disgusting it is where you are now. And you are not comfortable. And you're asking, what do I do? Boy, staying with the pigs is really where I need to be. And it's true. But God is gracious. And he's working in your heart, helping you to come to your senses, which is what happened to that son. The Bible says that when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, when wisdom began to light in his soul. And he saw where he was. And he saw he was helpless. Let me go to my father. Certainly not worthy to be accepted, welcome back as one of his sons, but at least I can get something better than where I am now. And Jesus tells us of the Father's surprising welcome. No need for a speech, no need to clean himself up. The Father welcomed him. The Father had a party for him. My dear friends, this is a little story to help us get what Almighty God is ready to do for any fools who come to the point where he puts his hand on his mouth where he comes to his senses, where he sees his complacency as a path to destruction. So if that's where you are, look to Jesus. There's nothing you can bring. The Father has made arrangement for your acceptance already. Has he hung on the cross for your foolishness, for your folly. He paid it all. Nothing for you to do. And the Father accepted his payment. He's satisfied. Look to Jesus. Not tomorrow, today. Now. If the Spirit of God is urging you, do not resist now. Don't find yourself hearing the words that Jesus 
said to another fool who thought he had all of his life, everything was set. My investment in this, going to do this, going to do that, I'm going to live here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And Jesus says, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. My dear friends, I'm not seeking to manipulate you. And I'll tell you this, if my manipulation could help you depart from foolishness, I would. Nothing I can do can help you depart from your folly. My prayer is the Spirit of God who is, I pray, at work in your heart will call you to hear wisdom's promise to lay your hand over your mouth, to look to him and find that when you do, you, you will dwell safely, you will find security and be without fear of evil in this life and in the one to come. Then and only then you can find yourself actually pursuing wholeheartedly what you once hated. Then and only then you'll be able to learn what it means to not lean on your own understanding, to acknowledge him in all of your ways and find him. Make your path straight. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your infinite wisdom as you displayed it by solving what to us would have been unsolvable, finding a way, implementing it in time as Jesus Christ, your Son, came to die and as the Holy Spirit worked effectually in our hearts, causing us to see our foolishness, causing us to do the unthinkable, to bowing our knees before you, and turning from our own way to follow Christ. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, and thank you, and thank you for saving us from our folly. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in all of our hearts as your children, that those words that we heard would stay with us, that we would humbly receive them and would continue to let them speak to us, to humble us, that we would grow in wisdom like your Son and bring glory to you. And for those who are, in spite of what they've heard, still complacent, I pray that you would give them restlessness. You would give them restlessness until they come and find the rest in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.